أما بعد فقد قال عن عن المقدام ابن أبي ابن معدي كريب رضي الله عنه قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول ما ملأ آدمي وعاء شر من بطن بحسب ابن آدم أكلات يقمن صلبه فإن كان لا محالة وثلث لطعامه وثلث لشرابه وثلث لنفسه رواه الإمام أحمد والترمذي والنسائي وابن ماجة وقال الترمذي حديث حسن وفي بعد نسخه في بعد نسخ كتابه حسن صحيح وصححه ابن حبان والحاكم ووافق ووافقه الذهبي So inshallah we're going to be resuming uh, with the book uh, the Jami' al-Ulum wal-Hikam of uh, Ibn Rajab al-Hamali and inshallah this this collection as we had explained in the previous weeks this collection is actually on uh, is built upon the basis of the Arba'in of Imam Nawawi. So Sheikh Tamim, before uh, you know, he he had to take this hiatus. Um, he was covering the Arba'in of Imam Nawawi. So inshallah, to allow him the opportunity when he gets back to continue covering that text, we wanted to do something related to it, but at the same time, uh, not necessarily interfering with it either. So Alhamdulillah, we chose this collection and the story behind these these hadith which I think is worth n- noting, is you have uh, Imam Abu Amr ibn Salah, who had actually put together a collection of hadith on those hadith that were from the Jawami' al-Kalim, from amongst those hadith that were comprehensive in its, in, in its speech uh, from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa a hadith that are you know, uh, pivotal to Islam, a hadith that are critical, that encompass a great deal of, of, of our faith. He compiled together 20-some-odd hadith. Later on, Imam Nawawi came, and he added an addendum to those hadith, uh, an additional number of hadith, until it became 42. And then later on, uh, Ibn Rajab al-Hambali, he came, and not only did he come and make a commentary upon all 42 of these hadith, he added eight more of his own, making the entire collection and even 50. So we're going to be covering, inshallah, those eight from the back, inshallah, in these, in these weeks. We've covered already... I think uh, three of them, and today's we're on to the fourth. And the amazing thing about this hadith collection, be it the Arba'in of Imam Nawawi or this book of Ibn Rajab itself, these hadith that they've selected, these 50 hadith or 42 hadith, depending on who's we're looking at, they're very pivotal to Islam. And the goal was that how do, we, how do you, you take a handful of hadith that encompass the vast majority of a person's faith? They give maxims pertaining to the majority of people's day-to-day life, how to lead life as a Muslim. So I feel that these ahadith, they're, they're a very good um, litmus test for a believer to see in which aspects of our lives do we need to work on a little bit more. Because we want to have holistic you know, lives that you know, in no aspect of our life should there be any, uh, any deficiency in how we f- fulfill our obligation to Allah. And we should try to perfect our, 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 ourselves and our, our, our habits and our practices to come in accordance and to come in line with that. So you'll find as we go through these hadith, some of them, mashallah, many of us maybe were already spot on with them. But then you'll find some of these hadith that you know what, this is something that we really need to work on. This hadith today actually for me is like, you know what, I, this is something I really need to work on. And the reason being is because every single aspect of these, because sometimes we minimize things. Inshallah, it's coming one hadith. There was a hadith in here that came 
that I was looking at and I was thinking to myself like why did he include this hadith like I know it's an important matter um, but then I never really thought about how important it was until I met somebody that will literally you know completely you know almost considered that aspect of Islam to be like mansukh completely abrogated you know what, it's no longer applicable in our time, that was for the time of the Prophet and, and this is like a, a, a critical matter of Islam, inshallah when we get to it, I'll discuss it more in detail then because I think it's a growing issue in our communities these days that more and more people are considering certain aspects of our faith that you know what, they're not relevant any longer and in the process of doing so, completely reneging on major aspects of our faith not realizing the potential harm that, that will follow, you know, going down that track so this hadith, like I said, for myself, it was a very great reminder and lesson that is narrated by Miqdam uh, ibn Ma'adi Karib that he heard the Messenger of Allah وسلم, say that there is no vessel that one of the children of Adam وسلم, that man fills that is more evil to fill than the stomach. There is no vessel that is more wicked or more foul or more wrong to fill than the stomach. And it is sufficient for the children of Adam to have a few bites, a few morsels that will help his keep his back straight. Right? It's sufficient that uh, the children of Adam should have a few bites, right, a little bit of food, just to be able to keep his back straight. Meaning he doesn't get you know, bent over out of hunger, bent over out of weakness and frailty, right? And if he absolutely has to have more food than that, then let him have one-third be reserved for his food, one-third be for his drink, and one-third just so he can breathe. This hadith is narrated by Imam Ahmad, Imam Tirmidhi, Imam Nasa'i, and Ibn Majah. Imam Tirmidhi grades the hadith as being Hassan, and in some uh, variants of his book, is, is actually recorded as being Hassan Sahih. Along with that, it's been authenticated by Ibn Hibban and Hakim, and Imam Zahabi corroborates the, these, the ruling that was given by Hakim of it being a Sahih hadith. And along with this, Ibn Rajab has a lengthy discussion going into all, all the other hadith or many of the other hadith that corroborate this concept. Before we get into the hadith deeply, right? The, the, the most apparent and the most noteworthy thing right on face value of this hadith is we notice that there's clearly a discussion that is a health discussion here, right? And this is where our minds usually immediately go to, most people when they hear this hadith, is the importance of this, of this aspect of our health. And without question, the health of a, of a human being, this is an amana that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us, this body. We should try our best to fulfill the rights of it and have healthy lives, lives right? In the way we eat, the way we drink, the way we, uh, uh, the way we you know, stay fit, the way we, you know, we sleep. In every aspect, our mental health, our physical health, in every aspect of our health, we should maintain good health. And this hadith is one of those pinnacle hadith that can really focus in on how can a person gain good bodily health. So right off the bat, uh, Ibn Rajab, he, he gives a little bit of uh, a context to what is the background in which the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this hadith. Now the, the narration of the background is not on the same level of the, as the hadith itself, but it gives us some insight in the context in which this hadith was, had come about. So it's mentioned that when the Muslims went to Khaybar, they found Khaybar to be a very lush land filled with fruits and, 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 and produce. So when they saw upon the victory of Khaybar, after Khaybar opened up and came into the hands of Muslims, they saw all these fruits. And to, I mean, even after the time of, the, of, 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 uh, 
of uh, the Battle of Khaybar. Khaybar was known for especially its dates. So when they went, they found this food. Many of them, you know, really came to devouring the food. And they, they fell upon the food and just consumed whatever fruit they could find. Until what happened is a lot of the people like completely fell headlong into like intense fever. So when this happened to the people, they went, some of them, you know, they, they uh, expressed, you know, concern for their state to the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ. He consoled them with regards to fever, consoled them with regards to the harshness of fever and, and, and the difficulty of it, advised them on how to treat their fever. And after some time, when they became better, when they became better, they again came to him and then the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this hadith in context. So the context we see is the Prophet telling people that you find food, don't just pounce upon it. Right? When you find food, and this often happens to us, that maybe generally speaking, right, we may not have the habit of overeating. But sometimes all of a sudden, man, like, you know what? Today, my wife made my favorite dish. Or you know what? I went to my mom's house, and all of a sudden I got struck with nostalgia, and I couldn't just stop myself from eating. Or, you know, I went to so-and-so wedding, and man, the food was just a little bit... Even in those situations, I mean, bear in mind the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum, they were people, generally speaking, for the majority of Islamic history in the life of the Prophet there was a scarcity of food. And these people, they were at that time, this is the Muslim army we're speaking about, they were traveling as well. So the level of food is not the same. So even those people that, it was not in their habit to overeat, just in this one incident of maybe engaging or indulging more than you know, what is ordinary, we see this advice being shared with them. Ibn Rajab then continues and he explains that we see that this context of this should be something that we have as a habit within us. He explains that this is this hadith, it is the asal, it is the basis of which all the principles of medicine are established upon. And when we talk about medicine, he's talking especially prophetic medicine. And by extension, also some of the medicine that was practiced by Muslim doctors up until his era. That this principle of balanced eating, Right, balanced consumption. This is the basis of good health. There's a weak hadith, but uh, uh, that 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 addresses this point, right? And and we'll we'll, we'll take it from the, the the fact that this was the practice that the Muslim, uh, you know, tabibs, the uh, the Muslim uh, um, doctors and the people that would actually treat the sick in, in the Muslim world, they they would practice upon this, and it is that fast and you'll be healthy. Right? The hadith itself is weak, but we we're looking at experientially what Muslim doctors have seen, that yes, fast and you'll be healthy. In fact, they found in, in this day and age, fasting has come to be found out as like one of the healthiest things that people can possibly do. I mean, intermittent fasting has become a big, a big thing in health circles, right? And the benefits that people see in lowering bl blood pressure, in lowering diabetes, and lowering, I mean, just by fasting. Fasting has been shown to be an immensely beneficial act. Actually, eating less has been shown to be of, of immense benefit for the health. So this is something that through generations and generations, doctors have never really disagreed about this point. It's just people's desire to eat has, come, has forced people to take other courses of action that they don't want to eat less. We as a, as a, you know, a brotherhood of humanity, we want to eat. And because we want to eat, we put our health at detriment, so we seek alternative options. Whereas in reality, the best option is have this moderation and balance in eating. He quotes one of the Muslim doctors of his era or of the past, Ibn Masway, who was a very great doctor of that era. And he says that when he would read this hadith that we just read of, the, of eating one-third and having you know, less food, 
And he said, if people were to just act upon these words, now bear in mind in the era of the Sahaba, عنهم, even in the era of much of the early tabi'een, the general habit of people was not to eat a lot. Right? The people didn't, it was already, you know, for one, food was a lot more scarce, and we'll discuss that in a bit. But it was not known, the, the propensity to overeat, you know, going into opulence in food, going into extravagance in food, this was a disease that fell into the generations of the Muslims that came later on. It wasn't common amongst the early Muslims, and it wasn't common usually amongst the sulaha, right, the, the pious people. Generally speaking, the pious people, they were known more for fasting. They were mo- known, mo- known more for being, you know, uh, um, uh, abstaining from ex- uh, you know, excessive food. And we'll read some of their statements, inshallah, coming up. But he mentioned this point that when that opulence kind of came forth in the, in the ummah, right? It became, com- it became common that people had more food, so they would eat more food. There was a lot more available and they would indulge in it much more. He says the people in his era, if they would just act upon these words then they would be saved from so much sickness and illness. To such an extent that all these hospitals and pharmacies would have completely been bankrupt and run out of business. Acting upon this, it would make the hospitals and, and pharmacies go out of business. Why? Because they would have a lot less sick people. He said, if, this people, if people societally disincorporated this, it would have such a transformative effect upon public health Public, on a public health level, it would have such a benefit that hospitals wouldn't be needed, pharmacies wouldn't be needed, to the extent that you know, they just go, they'd, they'd fall by the wayside because they wouldn't have that level of customers. I was just talking to my, uh, my brother-in-law this morning. He's like, man, I don't even know what type of doctor to trust. You have all these doctors that just prescribe stuff because they don't make money off of it. He was telling like, you know, uh, he found out about like, doctors that literally uh, um, uh, uh, some of these pharmaceutical companies were paying for their apartments Paying for their houses. That level of, you know, incentive, right? Uh, a friend of mine who's a doctor, he was telling me, you know, how difficult it is and how, uh, how, how much incentive there is for doctors to, like, be a little bit less ethical. And he mentioned, I asked him about this opioid, this opioid crisis, right? If anybody's familiar with it, this has become a very big, you know, public health issue. That people get sick they go to the doctors, they get prescription medication, and before they know it, by going to the doctors, they end up with a prescription and an addiction to opioids. Right? This is, a, this is becoming a very big public health issue. So he mentioned this point, like I asked him, like, you know, what, what's your thoughts on it? So he said, like, look, I'll give you an example. And he mentioned a, a certain sickness that people come into the ER with, or to the hospital with, and it's a very painful sickness of the stomach. I don't remember the exact name he gave it. He said the person comes in and he has this pain in his abdomen and his intense pain. He says just off the fact that he's in that intense pain, right off the bat, he said, if I, I as a doctor wanted to give him opioids, I can give it to him on the spot. This is one of the things that I'm justifiable without much assessment, without much further research, I can just give it to him. And he says the moment I prescribe somebody opioids, I can do third level billing. Meaning that session that I just had with him, I make more money on it. So he comes in, within 10-15 minutes, I give him an opioid prescription, he's out the door, he gets, you know, taken care of that symptom, I make more money, and I save my time. Now compare that to this person comes in, he has this ailment of his stomach, it could be a number of things. For me to try to actually find out what's plaguing him, I'm going to need to sit down, I'm going to need to talk to him, I'm going to need to investigate. Maybe instead of 15 minutes, I probably got to put in 40 minutes, or an hour, or maybe some follow-up appointments. 
And because I didn't give him the op opioids, I spoke with him. Well, that's level one building. I'm not going to make the same type of money. So I'm going to spend more time, make less money. So what's the point? Yes, as a sincere doctor, like, yes, I have a responsibility to let me take care of my patient and find out what's wrong. But that's a big test. And unfortunately, many a time, that's not, that's not where things are going. So yes, he's saying that a lot of times, you know, why is it that maybe a doctor won't tell you, like, you know the biggest solution that you can have? A lot of people may know it. Just start fasting. But like, you know, for one, how many people are putting their trust in that fasting? And two, you know, if people start getting healthy, you know, certain people are starting to get, start getting out of business as well. We're not saying that that's the medical establishment is a conspiracy or anything like that. But the truth is, the reality is that this is something that would bring such change that it would really cause people to have to go to the doctor much less. And then he explains, just like this principle of eating within moderation, eating within control, is the principle upon which all medicine can be based, he is similarly overeating. Overeating? Similarly, eating on top of eating, meaning before you digest your food, you're eating more food, that can be traced as being the, the root of all disease. So eating less, the root of all cure. Eating excessively, the root of all disease. Another Muslim doctor, he explained that the thing that has killed the most of Allah's creation and the things that even destroy the animals, not just humans, but even animals, is when people eat on top, when the people have food on top of food before it was digested. It actually comes in a hadith of the Prophet There's a sickness that comes within certain animals, grazing animals. And certain grazing animals, they don't know when to stop. It's a, it's a, actually, it's even discussed in some hadith of Bukhari. There's certain grazing animals, the people that deal with animals, they know about this. One of the diseases is, they don't know when to stop eating. So they eat and they eat and they don't give the chance, they don't give their body a chance to digest the food. So what ends up happening? They die from overeating. So animals, this can be seen in them. This doctor is saying the same thing, that one of the things that is most destroyed the creation, to the extent even predatory animals, and even the animals besides human beings, that destroys them is this specific point, that they enter food upon food that has not yet been digested. Right? إِدْخَالُ الطَّعَامِ عَلَى الطَّعَامِ قَبْلَ الْإِنْهِضَامِ Putting that food on top of the food, like the food hasn't even emptied yet, and you're putting more food on top of that. This is just completely destroying people. And how do you avoid that? Simple, give your stomach a break. Let your stomach be able to digest the food and finish it off. Another one of these Muslim doctors, they explain this point, that if someone were to go and ask the people of the graves, what is the thing that brought this grave to you so soon? What was the cause of this coming, your, your, your life being shortened so much? We're not talking about from a perspective of Aqidah. He's giving it a lesson. He said that most of them will tell you it's us, it's us overeating. If you see people, if you could ask the people of the grave that died early deaths, what was the cause of you dying early? Most of them would say it's because I overate. Or I had the habit of overeating. So we understand this very important point that this, uh, this word of the Prophet ﷺ, this advice of the Prophet ﷺ, the level of which it can actually improve our bodily health. Right? The level of which we can improve our bodily health. And what did he say? That there is no vessel that is more f 
you know, foul, more, no vessel that is more evil for the children of Adam to fill than the stomach. Meaning, eating to one's fill. Not even overeating. Eating to one's fill. And if we truly understood the next thing he mentions, and it is sufficient for the children of Adam to just eat enough morsels that it keeps his back straight. Eat to live, not live to eat. Eat what you need to survive. Eat what you need to stay healthy. Eat what you need to, you know, be successful. Right? This is not saying that, like, brothers and sisters, you have to, like, go and eat, like, stale bread with, you know, with, you know, uh, uh, with water, and that's your meals from here on out. That's not what it's referring to. Yeah, eat, eat something that you enjoy even. There's no problem with that. But it's saying that what we, if we were to really look at what we, our bodies need, our bodies need fuel that will sustain it. After that, everything else is excess. Everything beyond what we need is excess. So at that point, we were already getting into, uh, uh, into uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, uh, being wasteful. Wasting both the food and wasting away our bodies. So he said it's sufficient for the children of Adam to have enough food that keeps their back straight, that keeps them upright, that helps them to be able to get through their day. And if he must have more than that, if he, there's no other way that he has to have more, then at least this much, a third for food, a third for drink, and a third for him just to be able to breathe. Right? So this is, this is the prophet saying, if you, have to, if, you, if you have to reach the max, if you, if you can't suffice on your basic needs, we're not talking about eat so little that literally you become emaciated and you become sick and you, you, know, you fall into the hospital. That's not what the Prophet is saying. Eating enough that you can have a healthy existence. And if you have to have more than that, then not more than a third. Not more than this division of a third. So the Prophet is setting a minimum and a maximum. Right? So going above the third, we're already, we're already going past what the Prophet has set as that maximum. So if you just understood this point... Right off the bat, so much of, of, of the issues that plague us from a health perspective, it would be resolved. I'm reminding myself and all the brothers and sisters that are listening as well, that we should let's try to implement this. Ibn Rajab then takes this discussion into a different direction altogether. And most of his discussion is now on this other point. That he's saying that, like, look, this is there. Having a healthy, because like the, the Prophet also mentions in one hadith, that al-mu'min al-qawi ahabbu illallahi and he mentions one other thing I'm, 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 I'm forgetting uh, um, the Prophet also mentioned to the effect that a strong believer is more beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he mentions one other point that I'm, that's escaping me right now uh, than a weak believer, but in both is good. So we see a person who is strong, a believer who is strong, he's going to be able to do more. He's going to be able to be more functional, more successful, be, in it, be more productive. I think he mentioned, We'll look up the hadith to double check. I'm sorry? The, the, the strong believer is better and more beloved to Allah than the weak believer, but both are good. Why? Because the one who's strong is going to do more, is going to be more productive, is going to bring forth more. So yes, there's a benefit in being healthy, strong, capable. Along with that benefit, we see there's actually a spiritual benefit in this as well. 
And most of Ibn Rajab's discussion now centers in on this spiritual aspect. That the Prophet's advice here, it's not only about the physical. In fact, the Prophet doesn't actually use any words about actual health in this hadith. If you see the hadith, in the hadith itself, in the wording of the hadith itself, yes, if you look at the context, there's a relation that comes up with health, right? When you look at the sababul wurud, the background on which the hadith was mentioned, we do see a context of health. But if you look at the wording itself, there's no actual mention of health in it. And the words of the Prophet ﷺ, like we said, the Prophet was given this gift of having this comprehensive speech. What he's saying, it has a multitude of applications. So the application of health, it's obvious to us. But what about the spiritual applications? He discusses then that the benefits of this hadith and these words of the Prophet ﷺ is also related to the heart and what rectifies the heart. And when a person has less food, it makes his heart much more supple, much more soft, much more inclined to listen to the remembrance of Allah. More receptive to the words of Allah. More receptive to the admonitions of Allah. More receptive to wanting to follow the way of the Prophet Muhammad The eating of less food, it causes the understanding to actually build and be stronger. I remember they did a study at Harvard. I, I, I had come across this once. They did, they did a study to see the level of mental acumen of people when they have a full stomach versus when they have an empty stomach. And when people have empty stomachs, their brains are actually sharper. They've actually done metrics to study and see. Significantly, it was something like 60-something percent, if I remember correctly. It was significantly more effective when people have empty stomachs. So he said, not only is the heart more, is, is, is softer and more receptive, the brain and understanding is more sharp. The nafs, our base desires is more broken. Our temptations and our constant want and want and want and our anger and our, and our, and our emotions are kept better in check. This all comes simply by people eating less. Hassan al-Basri rahimahullah, he explains that, oh, children of Adam, this advice, he mentions the advice of the Prophet that yes, eat to your third, drink to a third, and leave a third empty. Why? Because when you're able to properly breathe and think, you're able to, pro you're able to properly uh, think and, and ponder. The one of the things that Allah has commanded us to do is to make this tafakkur and this tadabbur. If, you're hungry, if your stomach is full to the brim, you're not going to be able to tafakkur and tadabbur. Allah says in the Quran, أَفَلَا يَتَدَبَّرُونَ الْقُرْآنَ أَمَ عَلَى قُلُوبٍ أَقْفَالُهَا do the people not ponder deeply upon this Quran? Or are there hearts that have been locked upon their heart? Are there locks that have been uh, placed upon their hearts? I ask this to the brothers and sisters. If on, I, I used to see this in the Ramadan, right? You ask any person that leads taraweeh, they, they can't eat properly if thar time. Why? Because if you eat to your fillet if thar time, you're not going to be able to lead taraweeh. You're stuck. You're going to fall asleep leading the people. Similarly, you find if you, I, I will see this in myself. If I had a little bit extra iftar one day, not even like stuffing myself, right? You, you get drowsy, you get sleepy, the legs get heavy in taraweeh. What are you focusing? You're just focusing on trying to stay standing up. You're just making dua that I don't want to collapse out of like, you know, this like food coma that I'm going through right now. What, what, forget about, you know, pondering and, and making tafakkur and tadabur on the ayat of the, of the Quran. You're just and tafakkur that I don't want to fall asleep in the middle of salat. Right? Go into sajda and you don't get back up. Right? It's happened. Right? It's happened. Remember when we were kids? We were at, I won't mention the name of the masjid. We were at a masjid. There's a big masjid in the Bay Area. And literally there was a brother in the middle of salat just fell down. And from Qiyam just collapsed. 
fell asleep, you know, unfortunately. Allah knows best why. I won't say he necessarily overate. Allah knows best why. But it happens to people. And we might have even experienced this ourselves. I, I know I've experienced it. Maybe someone like, you know, invited you and like stuffed you that day and like, oh man, this is like, always becomes, becomes like, you know, a battle on that day. You can't focus. You can't, you, you can't make the dabur and the fakur because the stomach is full. So he mentions leave that one third empty because that one third is what allows you to be able to do tafakkur. Similarly, another time, another time there was a person who was having a discussion with Ibn Umar anhumah, or sorry, this is not Ibn Umar, this is a different Abu Abdurrahman. So one of the one of the great salaf, somebody had had a discussion with him and he asked him. Have you ever found a, a man who has a soft heart and a full stomach? He said, I, can't, I don't think it's possible. One of the salaf was asked, Abu Abdullah, he was asked, is, have you ever seen a person whose heart is, is receptive, his heart is soft towards the remembrance of Allah and his stomach is completely satiated? He said, I don't think, I don't think that's even possible. Another man asked Ibn Umar, or said to Ibn Umar radiallahu an, anhumah, that can I bring you this food called uh, uh, jawarish? Right? I looked this up before. So jawarish apparently is still used to this day. It's a, a, uh, it's a herbal remedy that's used to help people with digestion. So he asked him, Ibn Umar, should I bring you some, some of this jawarish? It's like good medicine. So he explained, you know, what is that? What is this jawarish? He says, it's something that helps you digest food when you eat it. He says, I haven't filled my, my stomach for over four... For, I haven't eat, eaten to my fill in four months. And it's not because I'm not capable of doing so. But rather I ran into people who were hungry so, more frequently than they, were, than they were satiated, so I made this my habit. So why do I need, why do I need a digestant? Right? If you don't eat you know, food on top of food on top of food, you're not going to eat Pepto-Bismol. Right? The Tums, the Rolex, the Rolo, what's it called? Uh, uh, not Rolex, but uh, 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 Rolades. All that stuff, this, this is the solution. So the person asked him, Do you need, you know, I can get you, I have this good digestant, right? He said, I don't need the digestant, I just, I just don't eat to my fill. And we find actually later on, this discussion Ibn Rajah brings about, why do we see so much of the salaf making a point to go years? And in the, there's another statement of Ibn Umar where he mentions 40 months. This is four months. In another place he says 40 months. Probably at different times he was asked the same question. But literally, they would go months upon months, years upon years, and make it a habit that I'm not going to eat to my fill. In another time, somebody asked Muhammad ibn Wasi'ah. Or rather, Muhammad ibn Wasi'ah mentioned this point, that whoever eats less food, he will gain understanding. And he will be able to explain his understanding to others. He will be able to provide understanding to others. And he'll be able to properly purify his character. And he'll be able to properly soften his heart. And the majority and people that get into an abundance of food, you'll find that that individual, everything that he tries to achieve and desires to do of good in this life, it'll become difficult for him. Some of the ulama Ibn Rajab mentions, they mention this point, that if you find people that are obese, that are overweight, right? If you find people in that, in that state, what's going to happen? Why, do they not, why are people that are always consumed with food? What does it mean when someone's overweight? Someone who's consumed with food. You'll find people that are consumed with food, all they're doing, all their time is spent is just counting 
the hours and moments until they can have the next meal. When can, what can I do for my next meal? I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have those potatoes with that steak, and then I'm going to have the steak with, you know, the special, you know, uh, uh, sauce on the side. It's just planning the next meal. He said, why do, the, why, is it poss- why do we see that people that are consumed with food, that they're not able to do this, this, this point that he mentioned, that people that have an abundance of food, all the things of goodness they try to do becomes difficult for them. Why? For this reason. It's because their mind is too occupied with food. If your mind is too occupied with food, you're going to be in dars and you're going to be thinking about, you know what, man, I wish we make sure we can finish by 10 o'clock because at 10 o'clock such and such restaurant is going to close and if I can't get out by time, then that, you know, I got to go home and make myself a peanut butter jelly sandwich. We're, we're reading the Qala Allah and Qala Rasul and I'm thinking about like falafel corner versus peanut butter jelly sandwich. I'm not throwing them, you know, calling out names, whomever, it can be Mirchi or, you know, New York pizza or whatever, whatever you want, right? But when a person thinking about food, the next meal, the next meal, the next meal. We used to see Sheikh Hashim. He'd be here. So I remember one time the brothers, they, he's, he has a very strict diet he follows. So one of the brothers, you know, they wanted to host him. You know, students will want to be, you know, honor their teacher, honor their, their, their guest, right? Especially when your guest is an alim, you want to honor him all the more. So one of the brothers asked him, Sheikh, like, you know what? There's like this really good, you know, steak and salad you can get at, this, you know, at, at, uh, at Mirchi. Right? MashaAllah, you can go there and we can have some steak and salad and it's the type of food you'll eat. And he'll go, he's like, oh, MashaAllah, that's wonderful, you know? Uh, and, then he, and then he said that, um, where is it? He said, it's in Fremont. Like, okay, how far is it from here? He said, it's about maybe like a 15 minute, you know, 15, 20 minute drive depending on traffic. He said, so it's 15 minutes going or 20 minutes and 15 minutes coming back. So 30 to 40 minutes. So that's 30 to 40 minutes of my life that I could be doing, you know, studying or doing this. He says, like, you know, if you don't mind, I'd be just happy to have like some nuts and some dried fruits with you here. You guys want to eat? Just bring me some. We'll, ha- we'll have food together. I'll be happy. If you really want to take me to make you happy, I'll go with you guys. But if you want to like really like take me out, I'll be happy just to be able to save my time and eat with you here. Right? Why? Because time is valuable. Time is meaningful. Right? They're, they mentioned about some of the mashayikh, just to be able to save a little bit of time. They used to eat, like, literally, I'm, I'm not advocating this, right? You know, but some mashayikh, they would go this far. They would only eat dry bread and water. And then one of the mashayikh realized that, wait a minute, this dry bread, you have to chew on it extra long. So he used to soak the bread in the water, make it into a mush, spin it, and then gulp it down. And that was his, that was his nourishment. They were on a different level. We're not saying and advocating that people do that. But what we're saying is, when people do not have to worry about food, and the next meal, and how decadent it's going to be, then you can just, they can spend a lot more time focused on more important things. Brothers and sisters, let's clarify a moment here. Let's take a pause. We're not saying you can't have enjoyable food. We're not saying you can't have good food. We're not saying you can't have food that you enjoy, food that you like. You can have that. But have it in moderation. That's the key thing here. I remember a friend of mine, he had this really wonderful habit. He, he would see like the friends would go together to eat someplace. He had a, this habit of eating that one-third. And what he would do is wherever he went, there's no restaurant that will serve portions that will give you that one-third. So what we do, he just wrap it up and take it home. He'd have that one-third, he'll have this rest to go. He'll eat like a third of a burger, wrap it up, take it home, I'll have the next third for like dinner, the next third for like lunch the next day or something. That was his habit. Everybody's going, on. I don't want to step out of place and like be like, you know, that person that doesn't want to mix with people. You can be a person and have all these things. You can even have very good food. This discussion that, the, that is being held here, yes, some of the ulama took it to another level because that's how much they valued their time. You know, that's for people that have reached that level. 
what we're discussing here is just that having that moderation. At least we don't eat so much that is hindering our progress in our relationship with Allah. That's, that's what we're discussing here. That we want to be able to make tafakkur and tadabbur, we want to be able to do dhikr, we want to be able to read the Qur'an, we want to be able to wake up for tahajjud, we want to be able to wake up for this and, and do that, and all these things we want to do, one of the biggest things is bring moderation into your eating. Someone I remember once was giving this advice on how do you control your, uh, um, your cravings for food. He says, don't allow yourself to plan too much in eating. If you allow yourself to have these intricate meal plans, a lot of time is going to be spent on that, you're going to want to have more. Because your, 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 your stomach can never eat as much as your eyes. Right? So you're going to see something, you're going to watch a YouTube video, and they're going to have this huge spread, and they have like, you know, chicken, and then beef, and then, you know, lamb, and all these things, and then you make it yourself, and you're like, oh man, I can't eat all this in one sitting. So I'm going to need like three sittings to eat this. Right? So bringing that moderation, once again, this is not saying you can't have good food, but it's saying is, have this principle in mind that I have higher principles in life. When I have good food, eat the good food and thank Allah for the good food. There's even a hadith that mentioned certain instances that the, the, some of the sahaba would come and prepare special food for the Prophet just to honor him. The Prophet was grateful for those moments. We don't just say like, you turn people away like, no, you get this food out of my face. No, we, we respect people that prepare nice foods. Right? That we appreciate it. The key thing here is moderation. Not going to that point where we're actually hindering our progress. Abu Sulaiman al-Darani, he mentions, if a person intends to fulfill any of his needs of this dunya or of the akhirah, any of your needs of the dunya or the akhirah, do it before you eat. Because the moment you finish eating, you'll lose your intellect. Your mind will not be as sharp. Do it before you eat, you'll find the sharpness in your mind, be it for your dunya or be it for your akhirah. I used to see this at work. Right? I wouldn't eat when I was at work. Why? Because the entire time there, just working, getting things done. The moment you sit down to eat, product- productivity is lost. You have lunch and then you have food coma. Even if you don't take the nap, your, your, your brain is in a nap state. So anyone that wants that success, focusing in on this. You know, another quote from Hassan al-Basri, he says, anyone that gains control over their stomach, they'll be able to gain control over doing righteous deeds. They actually mentioned one of the things that the Mashaikh of the past would do is you wanted to go study with someone, you wanted to go and you know, tread the path of suluk with somebody, you wanted to go and you know, gain advice in, in deen with anybody. Many of the Mashaikh of the past, one of the first things they would do is they would test your appetite. Some of the Mashaikh would be like, okay, you want to study with me? No more meat. Why? Because if you can't give up meat for the sake of trying to study, then you know, you're not that serious to begin with. Or eat less often. This was a common tradition in the, elder, in the previous mashayikh. Why? Because they would see this. If you can't gain control over your appetite, because the stomach is connected to the carnal desires. The stomach is connected to the carnal desires. If you can't control one, it's going to be difficult to control the others as well. Right? People that have you know, lustful desires. One of the things that helps control it a lot is control the stomach. Because all the carnal desires are interrelated. Once you can gain control over one, you're able to start getting control over the others. That's why the Prophet ﷺ, one of the things he prescribed to people that are not able to get married, is fast. Because you curb your appetite, you curb your appetite in more than one ways. So, he mentioned, anyone that is able to gain control, right? right? He'll be able to gain control over doing righteous deeds. 
And along with that, he mentioned, he would also say that proper wisdom and insight does not settle upon the person whose stomach is always full. These are just some of the sayings of the Salaf regarding this importance of having that control in eating. Abdul Aziz ibn, Abdul, uh, ibn Abi Rawad, he would mention that eating less food is one of the greatest things to assist a person in doing a lot of goodness. And he would also mention, I'm sorry, one of the other Salaf would say that whoever decreases the amount of food they would eat, you will not find it except that it softens their heart along with it. And it helps them and assists them in being able to shed tears when they make dua to Allah. If a person finds himself being hard-hearted, right, it happens to us. Sometimes we have difficulty shedding tears for the sake of Allah when we're in making dua or we're sending, because this is desirable within a person. That we feel the softness of the heart when we recite the Quran, when we make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the things that helps to help a person do that is stop filling the stomach and having a little bit less food. Another time a person came to the Hassan al-Basri And he mentioned to him He just happened to mention to him in, in passing Someone had invited him for some food He says, man, I ate until I couldn't eat anymore He was shocked He says, subhanallah Is it possible for a person to eat for a Muslim? Is it possible for a Muslim that he eats so much That he can't eat anymore? Like how is that even possible? Meaning that's how far the thought was from them That you eat to your fill This person is not saying he overstuffed himself He just ate to his fill Like this, many, many statements of the Salaf. Anyone that wants to cause his heart to fill with nur, let him start eating less food. Again, brothers and sisters, we're not saying starve yourself. Go back to the advice. When they're talking about less food, they're saying less food compared to what we're eating right now. Look at what we said, what the words of the Prophet were in the hadith itself. To eat enough that keeps you upright. Keeps you enough that you, it's the amount of food your body needs to survive. The first thing the Prophet said is, you don't eat so much that you fill your stomach. That was the first piece of advice. The second part of it was, that the best thing is, it's sufficient, you eat enough, that it keeps you upright, it keeps you functional. And if you can't do that, if you have to eat more than that, which is functional, then not going past one third. So this is what we're talking about, right? The moderation and the control in that. Uh, Bishr ibn al-Harith He mentions this point That he says I have not filled, I have not eaten to my fill For 50 years I have not eaten to my fill For 50 years And then he explains That it is not appropriate for a man To fill his, his, his Completely fill his, his stomach for the day With halal Meaning eat your To stuff yourself It is not appropriate for a man To stuff himself with halal he didn't say it with haram. It is not appropriate for a man to stuff himself with halal. Because when a person makes the habit of stuffing himself with halal, it is very nigh that eventually he's going to fall into eating haram. And when a person falls into such a despicable act, then what can you say about that individual? Right? These people, they were so cautious because they knew when you fall into one temptation, it just grows. If you can't curb the temptation for more, eventually more leads you in a certain direction. Ibrahim ibn Adham He mentions the point rahimahullah, That whoever is able to restrict his stomach And gain control over his stomach He's able to have that, have that precision in his deen And whoever is able to gain control over hunger Then he's able to gain control over good character 
And the person who is able to get, be familiar and comfortable with hunger, it is very distant. It is nine, very difficult for that person to commit sin against Allah. For that person that is able to tolerate hunger. And whoever is the one who is always getting close to stuffing himself, that person is very nigh that he will stuff himself until he kills his heart. And eventually that person, all he'll be consumed with is, just have, is, is merrymaking and playing and not having any concern for Allah or his deen. Similarly, Thabit al-Bunani, rahimahullah, one of the tabi'een, he mentions that there's a story that's mentioned with Iblis and one of the Salaf, right, one of the pious predecessors. He mentions that one time, you know, this, this pious individual, they saw, they happened to see Iblis. Allah knows best if it was in a dream or what type of state it was in. But they saw Iblis, they saw the, the devil. And they saw that he had these things hanging around his neck. And he asked him, what are these things that are hanging on your neck? So he said, these are the temptations by which I afflict the children of Adam. These are the temptations that I use to trap the children of Adam. And then he asked them, this pious person, is there any of these tricks that you've used on me? That you're able to catch me? He says, every now and then you eat to your fill. Every now and then you, 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 you stuff yourself. And when you stuff yourself, it becomes difficult for you to get up to do your salat and your dhikr. He said, do you have anything besides that? He said, no, that's the one thing. When you eat too much, it becomes hard for you to get up and do your dhikr, hard for you to get up and do your salat. And usually this refers to tahajjud. So the person said, I swear by Allah, I will never fill my stomach with food ever again. And Iblis in his dream he says, or whatever state this was in, he says, I swear by Allah, I'm never going to give a piece of advice to the children of Adam ever again. Right? So like this, this point of the many, many benefits of being able to control one's hunger and being able to eat within moderation. I'll, I'll, I'll fast forward a bit for the sake of time. Ibn Rajab mentions the statement of Imam Shafi'i rahimullah. Imam Shafi'i mentions that it's been nearly 60 months or sorry, it's been nearly 16 years it's been nearly 16 years that I have not filled my stomach because whenever the stomach is completely filled the body becomes heavy and the intellect, the sharpness of the mind disappears and it becomes difficult to walk away from sleep and the person of worship it becomes weakened in his ability to worship. So for that reason, for the past 16 years, I have not, I've stopped filling my stomach. Where does this basis come from now? And Ibn Rajab concludes with this. This is brothers and sisters, we have to realize something. Where do we see in the life of the Prophet any example where the Prophet would stuff himself? Yes, we have this one hadith that's mentioning a, the parameters of eating and consuming food. But if you look at the habit of the Prophet, what was the Prophet's usual habit? All we see is lack of food. Right? The Prophet saw some hadith of, 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 of Sahih Bukhari and Muslim. He says, Al mu'minu yakulu fi mi'an wahid, wal kafiru yakulu fi sabati am'a. That the habit of a believer is he eats with one stomach, and the habit of a disbeliever is he eats with seven stomachs. You got one stomach, why are you, why are you eating so much food? All you need is enough for one person to survive. The believer eats what he needs for himself, that's it. Why? Because a believer eats for his needs and a disbeliever eats for his wants. And this is the key thing here. Ibn Rajab, he summarizes this point. The key thing here is that the kafir, he eats for the sake of fulfilling his desires. 
And that causes him to indulge and engage more and more in chasing his desires. Whereas the believer, the believer eats with the etiquette of the sharia. The believer eats with the etiquette of the sunnah. The believer eats in a meaningful way. And that's why the believer eats what he needs and he doesn't eat what he wants. Yes, you can have food that you enjoy. Like we said, I'm not, I'm, I want to get back to this point. This is not advocating now go and start eating you know, dry bread and, 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 and stale water, right? This is saying that no, eat, inshallah, good food. Eat food you enjoy. Eat with moderation. That's the key thing. I'm trying to remind myself more than anybody else, right? That we should try to implement this thing of not becoming afraid of hunger. Not being afraid of eating less. Right? That we control our stomachs and our stomachs do not control us. Now, a person may bring up this, uh, this argument. Because there's many hadith that talk about how the Prophet ﷺ, there was never two or three days that he would go where he could eat to his fill just dry, dry bread. It wasn't the habit. It wasn't within the, the, the practice of the Prophet. To have even like low quality bread or low quality dates and eat to his fill, even eat to his fill with, 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 uh, with cheap food. Even to that extent. So a person might ask, well, there was general scarcity in that time. The reason they didn't eat like that is because they didn't have food. This objection can, may, may be made. Ibn al explains a very, very important point here. And I think this is a very beautiful point for us to ponder and reflect on. He says, look, if a person argues that this is the only reason why the Prophet and the Sahaba did not have the habit of eating to their fill, it's because they didn't have food to, fill, to, to eat to their fill. And we see the Prophet also many places he explains food for one is food for enough for two, food for two is enough for three, food for to that effect he mentions, right? Right? The Prophet also mentions the food for one person is a hadith of Bukhari and Muslim. That a food for one person is sufficient for two, and food for two is sufficient for three. People, this is explained is because there was scarcity of food. So if one person had food, share it with somebody else. So the argument some people will make, that's why they would not eat to their fill or they would not be able to eat to their fill. Food was scarce. But he says that, now understand a very important point here. That the cone of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala operates on the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when something was happened for the Prophet if Allah facilitated something for the Prophet if there was something the Prophet did that appears to be because of Ada, because of you know, his habit or because of his life circumstances or his life situation, realize that didn't happen outside of the command and control of Allah. And realize that whatever Allah preferred for his Prophet was the best thing. Right? إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَخْتَارُ لِرَسُولِهِ إِلَّا أَكْمُلَ الْأَحْوَالِ وَأَفْطَلِهَا that the Prophet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not choose anything for his Prophet except for the best of states and the most virtuous of states. That was what Allah preferred for him. Allah preferred for him to be in that state where he would alternate between food and hunger. So brothers and sisters, when we see these ahadith and we see the, the, the habit of the Prophet, that you cannot find any hadith that says the Prophet ate to, his, to be, uh, the, reach the state of being stuffed. Wallahu alam, I've never come across it. I don't know if anybody else has. Rather you find hadith after hadith after hadith of the hunger of the Prophet. The Prophet enjoying the, the, going, being in the state of eating one day and not eating the other day. So he highlights this point that if we look at the sunnah of the Prophet and his actual personal practice, hunger was part of his personal practice. We're talk, we talked about what the Prophet mentioned. The sunnah of the hadith is eating enough to keep you upright. But hunger itself 
To not be afraid of hunger. And brothers and sisters, we're not advocating now starve yourselves unnecessarily. No. Remember the Prophet said, it's sufficient that you have enough food that keeps you upright. We should aim for that. There were certain times the Prophet he would do certain things that was not within the physical capacity of the people. So the Prophet advised them to stop doing it. The Prophet would have this habit of doing what was called Sumu Wisal. Right? Continuous fasting. So like us, what do we do? We'll have suhoor in the morning, and then we break our fast with iftar. The Prophet, for example, he would have suhoor in the morning, he would not break his fast with iftar. He would not eat suhoor the next day, he would fast the entire day, and again he wouldn't eat, break his fast with iftar, and again he wouldn't eat suhoor. Like this, he would go two, three days, he would go multiple days without eating in between. This is called sumu wisal, continuous fasting. So some of the Sahaba noticed this about him. So they tried to do it themselves. The Prophet forbade them. The Prophet forbade them. He says, Allah sustains me in a way that He does not sustain you. So the Prophet forbade them from doing it. So we're not saying that now starve yourself for the sake of starving yourself. No, that is not what is being advocated here. But what we're saying is, do not become so afraid of the state of hunger that now we're putting that food on top of food on top of food where we're actually destroying ourselves. The hadith that I mentioned previously that I made reference to in Bukhari where the Prophet mentioned the disease of certain animals that they eat to the extent that they can't stop eating and they eat before they're able to digest their food. The Prophet doesn't even quote that hadith in the context of explaining the the phenomenon. He quotes it in the context of something totally different. But this was so known in those days to be an example that this was a disease. That the Prophet uses the disease to paint an example for something totally different. The disease was so commonly known that for an animal to eat to the point where he's eating before he can digest his food, this is considered to be a disease in animals. And it was so well known in society to eat on that level that the Prophet is using that as an example to show people that you know what, don't do these other things. He uses it as, it, as, a, as a parable. So brothers and sisters, let's, let's understand this point that was mentioned by the, the Muslim the physicians in the beginning. How harmful it is to eat food on top of food on top of food where we haven't even digested the first meal in the first place. Having those gaps. Like the Prophet mentioned, if we have to eat more than what we need. The Prophet advised us, all we need is a sufficient, a number, a, a sufficient food you know, to keep our back straight. Basically meaning, this is a, this is a majaz, this is a... Uh, this is an expression being used to explain eating enough that you can get through life. You can operate in a, on a day-to-day basis. You're not becoming emaciated. Right? Eating enough that you're healthy. But he said, and if you have to have more than that, if you have to absolutely eat more, meaning now you're going beyond your needs and you're going into your wants, then at the very least, make it a third. If we stay within this paradigm that the Prophet ﷺ painted for us, this in itself is what we need to gain that, that, that balance, right? And if that means in doing so, that you know what? Because why do we eat so much? Usually because we're afraid of being hungry, right? I just ate at, say, 6 o'clock, and it's 10 o'clock, that man, I'm going to get hungry at nighttime, so if I don't eat something before I go to sleep, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night hungry. It's okay, like, give yourself that gap, wake up and eat something in the morning. Don't force meal upon meal upon meal, just for the sake, I'm afraid. And what happens? We see it in Ramadan. We go 16 hour fast without any problem. In the beginning of Ramadan, yeah, maybe you get hungry. By the end of Ramadan, you don't even really notice it. Most people, there's, there's exceptions of course. Most people, if you ask them, by the end of Ramadan, you don't even realize that you're fasting 16 hours. 
Our brothers and, brothers and sisters, our bodies can take it if we train our bodies to do so. Do it for the sake of not only fulfilling the amana of these bodies, but do it for the sake of the benefits that we'll gain from it spiritually as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to act upon these advices, to have good health, and to do these things that help us uh, devote ourselves and, 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 uh, uh, to Allah properly and wholeheartedly and overcome all our deficiencies wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayri khalqi sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahabihi ajma'in bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahimin walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin